0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston.
1: After all, the food we eat comes from the hand of God, and not from the supermarket. And we all need to pray, give us this day our daily bread, reference from Matthew 6, 11. All the land belongs to God. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you belong to him. You were his servant. And, uh, and it, it's a beautiful story that we have here where, where Jesus would come and, and rescue us. He would come and redeem us, the hero of the story, dying for the villains of the
0: story. We enjoy accomplishing things on our own, don't we? It feels good to achieve something knowing that we were the ones that were solely responsible. And yet, it doesn't always work out that way. There are things in this life that we just will never be able to accomplish on our own. Today, Pastor James reminds us that we need to put all of our trust in God if we want to reach our greatest potential. It's hard to let go of our sense of power, but if we give it all to God, He'll give us the greatest sense of purpose that we've ever experienced. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus chapter 24 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Eventually, whether, whether it be you or your family, you will get back what was given to you. What's cool about this whole redemption language is that the fact that Jesus redeemed us. He bought us back, right? He stepped in and paid the price for us. He redeemed us. Incredible. Verse 29, this is uh, uh, just a little interesting insight here. It says, anyone who sells a house inside the walled town has the right to buy it back uh, for a full year after its sale. During that year, the seller retains the rights to buy it back. But if it is not ba- bought back within a year, the sale of the house within the walled town cannot be reversed. So it's a done deal. Why is that? Because there's no land attached to it, right? And sometimes it's like a house that was built in the wall itself. So you don't, you're not harvesting any crops or anything, because you're, you're, this is urban. You're living in the city. So there's no land associated with this house. It's just a house, and God says, "Oh yeah, after a year, it's yours. It's yours, okay." But if the house is connected to land or property, then that has to eventually go back to the original family. So if you don't want to have to worry about any of that stuff, then you buy a house built in the wall of the city, and there you go. And after a year, you're like, I never have to worry about somebody showing up at my door and like, "Hey, I'm here. This is my land. You got to move out, okay?" Your jubilee. Woohoo! Good for me, bad for you, adios, right? Like, you go back to your land. That's, this is how it's set, okay? Uh, it says, let's see, but in the village, a house in the village, uh, a settlement w- without fortified walls, obviously, will be treated like property in the countryside. Such a house may be bought back at any time and it must be returned to the original owner in the year of Jubilee, okay? So, so you have the house on the, in the wall, can't be bought back after a year. But anywhere outside of that, the person who originally owned that and all that good stuff, if they get the money, they can show up and be like, hey, I'm here for my house. I'm here for my house. And you're like, well, this doesn't seem right. Like, I just moved in. We just unpacked the boxes. Do you know how long it takes to unpack boxes after you move into a house? Like, yep, well, too bad. Box it up, move it out, right? Like, this is crazy. But again, God is, is really kind of ordaining order within the land. And he has, you know this family, he's preserving really the land for the people. And it it really is a beautiful system. If you take a step back and you look at it as a whole, you're like, this is kind of cool, God instituting this thing. It's really interesting. It keeps the ones who have a lot of means from buying up everything and taking advantage of those who don't have as much. And God's like, no, 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 no. Your family, you have this land. This is your land. You may not be able to You know, afford to buy it back right now. But even if you can't, there will come a year of Jubilee where you will get back your land. This keeps people from monopolizing and somebody owning all the land. Because why? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. Okay? So God is watching out for all of his people. It's brilliant. Verse 32, the Levites will always have the right to buy back a house they have sold within the towns allotted to them, and any property that is sold by the Levites, all houses within the Levitical towns must be returned in the year of Jubilee. After all, the houses in the towns reserved for the Levites are the only property they own in all Israel. The open pasture land around the Levitical towns may never be sold. It is their permanent possession. So the Levites didn't own any land they get to have houses, and so God is protecting those guys as well, okay? And especially their farmland, so to speak, you can't sell that. The pasture land and all it's good stuff. Now, a Levite could sell his house if he needed to, but he would get that back, okay? If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty, okay? Life happens, things happen, falls into poverty, and cannot support himself, Support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. That's loving your neighbor. That's pretty impressive. Like, oh, he's fallen onto hard times. Well, sorry about you. Better luck next time, right? Like, oh man, things will turn, things will get better. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you, right? No, God's like, no, you should just let him live in your house. You're like, no, not, no. That's good. That's an Eastern thing, God, because in the West, we don't do these things, right? He's saying, look, if you can help somebody out, then help them out. Then help them out. It doesn't always look like you inviting them into your house and all that good stuff. Some of you have done that, and that's, that's an amazing thing. It's bigger. It's broader than that. If somebody falls into hard times and they need help, then as, as family, we step in and we help them out. That's just what we do. It's what we do. If you can, then go for it. It says, do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative, right? So he has to say this because people in this land, and they would be like, okay, I'm going to take advantage of you. You can live with me. Here's what rent is. And then I'm going to add some interest onto that rent. And then at the end of, you know, it's like, no, 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 look, he's... He's your family. Bring him in as a family member. Just take care. Help him get back on his feet. That's all God's saying. Then there is some protection there for the person who is like takes advantage of somebody's hospitality, right? So if they're like, okay, you're you're on your feet now, then you're out my door. All right, good. I'm glad you got back on your feet. Now you go live in your own house, right? Like you go and be responsible. Okay? Don't feel like you have to keep them living with you. The goal is to get them back on their feet. Okay? The goal is not to enable them. The goal is not to take advantage on either side, because we know how that works. This person could take advantage of the poor person. The poor person could take advantage of the person who has stuff. We know what that's like. It goes both ways, right? So we, we out of respect for God, we take care of each other. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend to him or make a profit on food you sell him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Treat him instead as a hired worker or a temporary resident who lives with you. And he will serve you only until the year of Jubilee. At that time, he and his children will no longer be obligated to you they will return to their clans and go back to the land originally allotted to their ancestors. The people of Israel are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, so they must never be sold as slaves. Show your fear of God by not treating them harshly. Okay, so that's all good, and we're like, okay, that's, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the term slave there is, it's kind of a, it's a strange one in one sense. It, they're really just hiring themselves out. Okay, that's what they're doing. They're hiring themselves out as like a worker, a laborer. So God's like, fall on hard times, and then offer your services to somebody. like Get a job with them. Let them pay you. You work for them and let them pay you. And then when you can get out of that, then you get out of that. Or if the year of Jubilee happens, then guess what? You're free. You're free to go. Now, here's another thing. However, you may purchase male or female slaves from among the nations around you. You may also purchase the children of temporary residents who live among you, including those who have been born in your land. You may treat them as your property. Well, this is awkward. Passing them on to your children as permanent inheritance. You may treat them as slaves, but you must never treat your fellow Israelites this way. And you're like, well, hold on. How does this, like, these are one of those passages of scriptures where we read this and we're like, well, that just doesn't sound right. That just sound. That doesn't sound good at all. So I pulled up from the internet some uh, terms here just to help us out with this a little bit, Okay, It says, although it is almost impossible for us to relate in the modern world, this kind of slavery was necessary and helpful in the ancient world. Hold on. For most of humanity's history, the poorest people were sometimes confronted with the choice between death of starvation and becoming a slave. In such circumstances, it's hard to call slavery good, right? But it was certainly preferred to the alternative, as death would be the alternative. He goes on to say this term slave, because this is really hard for us, especially in America with our history, which is terrible, terrible, okay? The Hebrew word used, or usually translated slave designates a subordinate, someone who is under the authority of a person above them in a hierarchy. Uh, it could be a cabinet minister serving under the king, an army officer under a supreme commander, um, or a slave under his master. The Israelite brother, who is regarded as a hired servant and sojourner, could be released. This is concerning the Israelite uh, from his obligation when his debt was paid. But every hired servant or sojourner was le- released the year of jubilee. For those who are non uh, non Jews, right? He goes on to say. Um, God commanded that slaves and workers should not be mistreated. They were not to be worked excessively or to their harm. God cares about working conditions and does not want workers to be mistreated in their labor. Um, And then uh, right before that, too, here's another kind of a clarification. The Hebrew word used here, slave, uh, should be also translated so that the connection between the statement and statement in the previous verse may be clear, right? So let's understand what slave really means. People of Israel had been slaves of the Egyptians, but they were delivered. When they were delivered, they become the property of the one who redeemed them, the Lord himself. So what, What? uh I can't even remember his name now. Um Guzik, yeah. Uh, what he's saying here is like, it, it's hard for us Westerners to understand this idea, but in, I'm going to read you a little bit more of this too, but he's just framing it out of like, we, we just need to understand what was going on in this world at this time, okay? The slaves that were happening within the Old Testament and on the Israel's is part were not like slaves that we are most familiar with and people being stolen from their land, okay? So there's, he's just trying to frame this out so that we can have a, a good understanding of this. Um, he goes on to say, uh, foreign slaves uh, from debt or poverty did not have the same rights of the Israelites who went into servitude because of debt. They could be held as slaves for life, assuming their debt or obligation was never paid. Though they had been tra- treated humanely, because Exodus chapter twenty did give rules of like if you do own a slave, you have to treat them humanely. Right? Exodus twenty-one sixteen specifically says that kidnapping a man to sell him was a sin and not allowed in Israel. Later, the prophet Amos rebuked Tyre for their traffic in slaves as a violation of the covenant of brotherhood. That's in Amos 1, verses 9 through 10. The subtle yet important difference between slavery as it was and is commonly practiced and slavery as relegated in the Bible. Okay, there's a difference there. Most slavery was actually a form of kidnapping, the taking and imprisoning of a person against their will. That's a sin. As relegated uh, in the Bible and practiced in some other ancient cultures, slavery was received willingly, usually as a payment for a debt, or in the case of war, as an alternative to death. In ancient Israel, people from other cultures were not kidnapped and enslaved, as was the practice of the African slave trade. Okay, so I wanted to read that to you so you can understand, because this word is such a—it's just a strange word— but. And in our Western mentality, we think of, like, all I ever think about is um, that African slave trade, where you're you're stealing people from their land. Like, and the Bible is very clear. That's a sin. You cannot do that. And a lot of people have issues with the Bible because they're like, doesn't it promote slavery? And it's hard to read through this passage. And you're like, it sounds like it is. The Israelites were not going and stealing people from their land. So... Again, it, this, is a, this is one of those difficult passages of Scripture where it's kind of hard for us to swallow. But the idea behind this, and if you, if you understand the whole, if these people were presented with the option of like, especially in war scenarios of like, well, you can be enslaved or you can die. Well, I'm going to choose enslavement. God definitely made provision or allowment for that. But within that, he also made sure that his people... We're going to treat other people fairly and kindly, okay? So again, it, it's, it's hard for me, it's always hard for me to approach these scriptures and, and not think of the atrocities that have happened in our mo- real recent past. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not what's being talked about here, okay? So it, it's, you, we got to understand the culture, we got to understand the context and the, the historical context and all that good stuff. And, but again, even within that, it's still hard to swallow. Because if you're not an Israelite and you're a slave, then well, you don't get treated the same. And you could be passed on throughout the family and all that good stuff. But we have to you have to still take a step back and look at it as like Exodus chapter 20, God's like, You 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 would take care of people. You take care if you if you brought them into your household then you have to take care of them. And you cannot mistreat them. And you cannot treat them as if they're not human. You have to take care of them. So there's a lot of cultures. Maybe one of these days we'll do like a topical study just on this, just to kind of get a, a, a broader picture of this. But it's hard when you read through those passages. You're just like, oh, I wish that wasn't there. But it's there. It's there. And it it helps to know the whole context of like, man, God was, he, he was still... For the the foreigner living amongst them and all that good stuff, he's he's telling the people of Israel, you better treat them right. You better treat them right. All right, verses 47 through 55. Uh, So suppose a foreigner or temporary resident becomes rich while living among you. If any of your fellow Israelites fall into poverty and are forced to sell themselves to such a foreigner or to a member of his family, they still retain the right to be bought back even after they've been purchased. They may be bought back by a brother, an uncle, or a cousin. In fact, anyone from the extended family may buy them back. They may also redeem themselves um, if they've prospered. So if they've earned enough money and can afford the price to pay for themselves, redeem themselves, then, then they have that option as well. It says they will negotiate the price of their freedom with the person who bought them. The price will be based on the number of years. Uh, "...from the time they were sold until the next year of Jubilee, whatever it would cost to hire a worker for that time period. If many years still remain until the Jubilee, they will pay the proper portion of what they received when they sold themselves. If only a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, they will repay a small amount for the redemption. The foreigner must treat them uh, as uh, workers hired on a yearly basis." You must not allow a foreigner to treat any of your fellow Israelites harshly. If any Israelite has not been bought back by the time the year of Jubilee arrives, they and their children must be set free at that time. For the people of Israel belong to me. This is the Lord. The people of Israel belong to me. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay. so this last little section here is Really kind of brings to um, to our minds our attentions, I think this uh, kinsman redeemer element, and we referenced this a little bit earlier, but the book of Ruth um, speaks beautifully to this concept here, uh, and that 's where you know Ruth and Naomi were kind of uh, purchased in one sense um, by Boaz, he redeemed them, right so he uh, kinsman redeemer could rescue his relatives by paying. Uh, the debts and recovering his land, and so Boaz was able to uh, step in, and, and he married Ruth, and uh, just a, again a beautiful, beautiful story from the Old Testament, and only a few uh, few books over. But that that story from the Book of Ruth is is what we're seeing take place within this last little section here. This the kinsman redeemer stepping up and um, helping out a relative. Um, and so what really, what's really kind of cool about this section is how uh, this is a picture of Jesus and what he's done for us. Um, he became our close relative by becoming a man. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We also see that in Hebrews 2, 9 through 18. And he paid the price for our redemption by dying on the cross. So he willingly and freely offered up himself uh, to pay our debt. He was both able to save And he was willing to save. So, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. So, we see that this concept here in the book of Leviticus and the Lord making an allowance for that. But also, this is kind of like a a foreshadowing, if you will, of what Jesus would do for us um, as our redeemer. A beautiful uh, just concept that, uh, man, that the Lord allowed back then. And again, it's just, he's communicating to the people as a whole both to Israelites and then to foreigners who are living among them, that uh, the Israelites belong to him. He, he was the one who rescued them. And he brought them into his land. And they are, they're managers of you know, this land that, that he rightfully owns. And so they serve him. All of us are servants, or should be, especially if you're a believer, you're a servant of the Lord. And, uh, and if you're his, you've been bought you've been bought you 've been redeemed you 've been that price has been paid for you and for myself on the cross by Jesus um, just a beautiful message a beautiful story there and as we look at this with uh this land and um you know and who owns the land and you know nobody owns land and all this good stuff it may even conjure up within our brains um, like a, a type of communism i guess uh, in one sense, but I want to read to you guys from Warren Wiersbe's Old Testament commentary on this passage of scripture, where he says, it must be noted that the the economic system in Israel was not a form of communism. People possessed private property, which could be bought and sold, but God owned the land and would not permit it to be sold permanently. Uh, The sabbatic year and the year of Jubilee, if obeyed, would have prevented the rich from getting richer and thus making the poor uh, poorer. But the Jews didn't obey these laws, and the results were tragic. They also enacted laws that favored the rich and crushed the poor, and God judged them for it. Finally, these special laws also showed God's concern for the land by allowing the land to lie fallow every seventh year and then two years in a row at Jubilee. They were restoring its productivity and increasing its value. Of course, it took faith to do this but God promised to meet their needs. After all, the food we eat comes from the hand of God and not from the supermarket. And we all need to pray, give us this day our daily bread, reference from Matthew 6, 11. All the land belongs to God. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you belong to him. You were his servant. And, uh, and it's a beautiful story that we have here where, where Jesus would come and, and rescue us. He would come and redeem us the hero of the story, dying for the villains of the story uh, so that he could not only set us free but bring us into, into his family. And so I think there's good stuff for us to chew on. And like I said, uh, down the road, we'll talk a little bit more about this notion and concept of of slavery. And and we have addressed it. If you want to go back, you can go to our website, calvarygalvason.com, and uh, listen to our study through Ephesians. I, I believe, if I'm correct, I referenced some of this within, within Ephesians. We can, look into, we can look into that a little bit more. And um, just, uh, it's just amazing how, just how compassionate God is and how just he, he cared for the people, and not just the Israelites, but for the people who are dwelling within the land with them. And if they would have only obeyed, you know, if they would have only obeyed, the the blessings that they could have seen. And the same applies to to you and to I or to myself. If like, oh Lord, I wonder how many I wonder how many blessings I've missed out on due to my disobedience or hard heartedness. Lord, just obey the Lord, trust the Lord, um, keep your eyes fixed on Him, and uh, let's let's finish this race that He set before us. Hope, hope the
2: hopeless hope.
0: You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is making his way through the book of Leviticus. Now, when we open the book of Leviticus, we first read these words. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He starts talking to Moses about the offerings that the people are to bring. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar, as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The animals they offered were to be without blemish. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect lamb of God. And yet the writer of Romans says, "'I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship, We no longer sacrifice animals to cover our sin, but in reverence and in worship of Jesus who paid that price for us once and for all, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The book of Leviticus can open our eyes to how we're to live before the King of Kings. Here at Bread for the Broken, we're committed to helping people find hope and new life in Jesus. To hear other great messages filled with that hope and life, head over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com or you can find us on Facebook where we live stream all of our services. That's all that we have for today. Pastor James will be back with you next time right here on Bread for the Broken.